Hello, everyone. Welcome to Listening at the Orange Door, a podcast that explores empathy and mental health in a variety of professions. Today, we're speaking with Katie Richards. Now, Katie's a lawyer who runs a social enterprise tech company. Wrap your head around that one. Um, We had the most wonderful discussion about access to legal services being a fundamental human right. And um, from there, we explored empathy and mental health for clients and colleagues and how technology is helping improve both of those things. Um, I really hope you stay with me. There's something in today's episode for everybody. As always, if you have any suggestions for other professions, please send them to me at leanne at loseyourmind.com.au. My name's Leanne Butterworth. This is Listening at the Orange Door by Lose Your Mind. Today at Listening at the Orange Door, presented by Lose Your Mind, I'm Leanne Butterworth. We're joined by Katie Richards. Um, and Katie Richards has a, and I'm going to call it a firm called Law on Earth. Law on Earth. Is that right? It's a firm? Um, so we've got a firm called Virtual Legal. Uh, we have a okay. social enterprise called Law on Earth. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's let's start there. So Katie Richards, welcome, welcome. Um, give our millions of viewers a little bit of a snapshot about who you are and what you've achieved and what virtual legal and law on earth is. Yeah, okay. So I ended up uh, setting up virtual legal back in 2013 when online law firms weren't really a thing at all um, to the point where it was actually quite difficult to convince our insurers to give us professional indemnity insurance because they couldn't understand how you could deliver legal services without sitting in front of someone. And the reason that I wanted to do things in a different way was essentially because I was just so discontented with living the standard life in law practice. Um, And so I just wanted to find a way to have more flexibility within my life, give more flexibility to the clients and find different ways of um, doing the same type of work, but without the sort of the stigma and, and the negativity that comes with that environment. Right. So from virtual legal, several years after that, we found different ways of using other technologies so that we could bring the cost down for legal to also bring the law and earth platform out, which is the social enterprise. And that that platform is a social enterprise because it addresses the access to justice issue, um, essentially giving the public the ability to be able to um, manage their own legal work uh, or majority of it for up to 90% less cost right okay so you've got those two arms so what's your background so I was um, a property lawyer and commercial lawyer I also do some wills and estates work so I essentially worked in a general practice area after spending several years working in-house for corporate entities like NAB, um, EcoWash Mobile, uh, Domino's Pizza, uh, Price Attack, And then I also transitioned back over into private practice again after I was admitted and came back to Australia after working overseas and went back into looking after franchisees and small business owners, uh, landlords, lessees, and just basically mum and dad's looking for wills and estate planning as well. So I have a fairly varied background, but one thing that's always been consistent across what I do is I work a lot in the transactional space, which is generally fairly fast paced. And it's very process driven. And that's sort of where my love of legal tech has really helped in cutting down the, um, the amount of time that it takes to do particular jobs and trying to um, upskill and educate our clients so that they, they're not as needy as they otherwise would be and they feel a bit more empowered. So that relationship between me and the clients is just 
uh, it's easier to manage in many cases and they are enjoying the process a bit more, which means I also get to enjoy the process of giving advice more as well. Okay. So how does the virtual legal side of things, I guess, take a more human approach? Because that's what it sounds like. You've sort of taken away a lot of the, like, in one way, it sounds like you've taken away a little bit of the face-to-face, but given back empowerment and a human approach to the client rather than to the the face-to-face lawyering bit. Is that, am I right yeah, in saying that's, that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So there's one key element as to um, the biggest difference between doing the face-to-face and how we do things. Obviously, we have to build trust just as a lawyer would do, but they would do that by sitting in front of someone and being an actual real human being to that person. Given that we don't meet our clients, what we use is just behavioral profiling. So people tend to like people that are like them. And the way that works is that by using this behavioral profiling, we can within probably a few seconds of speaking to someone on the phone or reading the way that they write in an email, we can generally quite accurately identify what, what which of the four categories um, of behavioral profiling they fit most closely within. And we then parrot back to them their own behaviors. So what that does is that it creates a natural click with that person. So instead of just assuming that every person is just a file, we actually pay particular attention to how people talk and how they actually, how much information they want to be given. And then we um, say, for example, an accountant compared to a property investor, just as a really broad generalization, the accountant will want to have a lot more detailed information. Whereas if you give that same formatted uh, communication to the property investor who just wants dot points and won't read your advice, uh, there's very different risk levels. Um, there's very oh. different um, relationship that you have to manage with either one of those. So with the person that wants some dot points, we have to realize they're not going to read the advice. We're going to have to put things into the calendar that follow them up on the particular dates they need to do actions by because they won't remember. Whereas um, the person that's a very high C personality profile, like your accountants and engineers, they'll want, they'll need an extra, say half an hour, an hour when it comes to going through reports and building in pests or a body corporate report or something like that because they have so many more questions and they also need more time to um, to stop and make decisions about things than other personality profiles. So is that something that you developed with psychologists or is that something that um, so where did that framework come from to start with what made yeah. you go down it's, that path? It's already existed for a very long time um, it's not been used really in legal it's been used sometimes in business coaching uh, it's been used in marketing elements but one thing that we've done over the years is we've looked at all the different industries and found all these different ways that um, the communication patterns have um, you know been bettered and thought okay well can we try that in law and we've just trialed and tested a lot of different things and the disbehavioral profiling one which is one that's um, it's reduced risk for clients it's reduced risk for us and it's created really solid relationships uh, to the point where we don't do any marketing. We don't pay for any marketing. Our clients tend to do all of our marketing for us because they feel that solid connection with us more like a family as opposed to just clients. Yeah, wow. And is that something that you used AI for or do you read through and go, okay, that's probably this type of personality? Um, in The chatbot has some AI elements to it and also mood sensing. So we do have some AI elements to what we do, but we have to be very careful and legal not to use AI in something that could be seen as giving legal advice. Because gotcha. if you do that, then your insurance doesn't actually apply to it uh, because the machine obviously isn't a lawyer and only the lawyers um, are covered by the insurance. 
So um, what we had to do is give really practical um, stuff via the the bots and um, it's something that we've just trained all of our staff to recognise very rapidly. And also one thing to keep in mind too is that even though someone might be this particular personality profile, we all have what's called our shadow profiles. So when someone is under stress um, or they're just in a rush, they can um, divert to another personality profile in that moment. And also a husband and a wife might have completely different personality <laughs> profiles. So we have to accommodate that and work out who the decision maker is, make sure we're also getting instructions from the other person in the way that they need to communicate as well. And we don't just use it for clients. We actually use it for every person in the transaction, which probably seems like a lot of extra work, but the amount of time that it actually saves once you've built up really good relationships with every stakeholder on the transaction, um, it just everything works a lot more smoothly. Yeah, well, so, yeah, like I, like I was thinking a minute ago, on one hand, when you go virtual legal, all right, they've taken out the human element, but from what you're saying, you've really used that to your advantage to enhance relationships and use empathy mm. for, like you just said, if someone's going through stress, they're going to change their profile. Um, and then training staff into that relationship human first perspective of law yeah wow and is that I'm assuming that that's working at the moment like that sort of you've had a good response to people being treated like humans yeah we've been doing that for nearly seven years now so um, it's always been built in uh, since about maybe six months in so at the very beginning of 2014 is when I rolled out the the fixed fee back then and, and fixed fee back then was just you wouldn't even think about it um so there was a lot of stuff that we did very very early on so it's always been a part of how we operate and it's just sort of one of those things that everyone else is starting to recognize that some of the things that we do here are actually um you know they are a good idea and and lots of people are doing them now i'm not sure about the disc behavioral profiling side of things i know there's a lot of people in business that use disc um but i'm not i'm not sure of any other law practices that use it as well they should though yeah, absolutely. So then have you, does this apply to you to all aspects of law or is this, do you think, particularly um, relevant to certain elements of law? Like would there be um, cases or people or whatever it is where this really wouldn't be applicable? No, not really. Um, just because human beings are human beings and they all want to communicate in one way or another. Um, the only time that it would be more difficult for us to use that communication would be potentially where um, we were dealing with someone who had some sort of um, visual audio impairment and someone else was writing for them. And that would that would mean we wouldn't be able to actually ascertain what that personality is like because it's not that person that's actually communicating. Um, yeah, so occasionally okay. we'll, we'll have that. But what we do in that circumstance is say, for example, if they were using an agent or a buyer's agent or a personal representative, we would just use, get the authority, deal with that particular person there, and then just keep engaging with them to ensure that whatever information the end user actually requires, um, we're giving it to them in a way that's you know, malleable for the person that's getting it to be able to explain to that person. Plus, the other thing too is that we've done heaps of videos around all the key areas of legal that we're working with on a day-to-day basis. So a lot of that is already addressed through the videos and stuff that we do. So, uh-huh. Okay. So you're sort of using, you're putting 
the power and the information back into the hands of your clients, which I think from a cultural point of view, we're used to having no information. It's all in the mm. hands of the lawyers and you're kind of kept in the dark in a way. That's that's the perception. So this feels quite enlightening in that sense. Have you found then a change from your corporate days to this in terms of workplace culture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're very we're very careful about who we put onto our team here. We've got a very diverse team um, for a few reasons. Number one, we only want people working here that are prepared to work in a different way to what they've done before in law practices. Um, and we don't want um, that sort of the, the usual standard kind of negativity, um, you know, seeping through what we're doing here because obviously we've got to sort of stay in a fairly positive frame of mind and see every communication pattern for what it is. So if you're already sort of already having a bad day, which obviously we sometimes have bad days too, but uh, we've got a lot of different things in our culture that other people would recognise when someone's sort of having ups and downs. So um, the whole team is driven around not only being, you know, the be in the best um, emotional and mental position to be able to help our clients, also to help each other as well. So everyone sort of feeds off that same positive energy within the firm. And that's really important because one of the biggest things we try to achieve is actually teaching people that they, they can get their legal work done without having the added stress that often comes with it. So if they sort of feel like they can call us at any time without feeling silly about asking a question, um, we know that we've, we're sort of giving that to them. So dealing with lawyers is no longer the sort of, you know, the um, stressful taboo that it used to be. Yeah, awesome. So you just said that you like to... Um, develop uh, diversity in your mm. place how do you do that and what do you see as the benefits of having a uh, diversity in your workforce it's mostly around diversity of thought so sometimes yeah, okay. the way that we think about things in legal um, is you know like we, we've been used to doing it the same way for so long that I think that's always a um, deterrent to change um, and so I like to bring people on board that aren't necessarily from a legal background. Obviously, the lawyers are, um, but even you know, even there, we have you know a couple of different minority groups represented within our close knit team as well. And we don't just sort of you know come from a position of say, okay, we've got one of these people and one of those people. We actually sort of say, okay, how would you see this? What would you like to do? So we um, one of our um, staff was in um, in the Pride Law. So. What we do is not only acknowledge that, okay, there's um, some different things that he would like to do within his community group, um, we also make sure that everyone else in the firm gets on board with that as well. So it's very inclusive in nature. Yeah. And what well, we find is, yeah, what we find is that um, once everyone's sort of in that comfortable place, that, you know, everyone knows that when you're coming to work, if you've got stuff going on um, and you can't sort of be at your best, then I, I'd be more likely to just give someone the day off and the rest of us will jump in and cover their day so that they can go and work on their emotional and mental health and then come back when they're ready to sort of you know, be at their best again um, as opposed to just dragging them through the day and, and expecting them to be a bright, shining ray of sunshine when <laughs> there's you know some private stuff going on. Yeah, and not being able to tell the difference between a smile and a grimace, essentially. That sounds... Yeah. Um, very, very loving. Um, and you don't sort of put together, in my mind, sorry, um, I don't really know that I've ever put loving and law in the same sentence before. Um, so then, do you, and so well done. Um, 
<laughs> do you have any measures of that? Like, do you do benchmarking? Like, how do you, because by the sound of it, the mental health and inclusivity and diversity of your team has benefits for your team. It has benefits for your clients. Do you measure any of that? We're trying to work out now how to do some measuring around that. Uh, fortunately, um, the Law and Earth platform is also um, assisted by the same group. Um, we're still putting more people into that team, but it's basically the virtual legal team that's backed it and created it. So um, what we've found is um, we, we've just, the Law and Earth has now um, been accepted into an ex- social enterprise accelerator. And there are going to be people within that accelerator that will be able to help us learn how to measure those kind of um, things yeah. so that we can sort of get some better stats around it and um, make sure we're doing well. In from that perspective, um, I know from a financial perspective, ironically, even though we put so much more time and effort into you know our people and, and our clients and any other stakeholders, what we're finding is that it's actually having a massive impact on our, um, our revenue. So we've doubled in revenue in the last 12 months just with the same team on board. Um, so obviously it's, you know, when things are working well, everyone's happy, um, everyone works hard but still enjoys their roles. The other thing that we do too is that instead of, you know, using the traditional, okay, well, you work this many hours, you get this bonus, everything's done by team metrics. So they all have to sort of support and carry each other. Um, And then Uh they sort of get their bonuses as a team. So um, not to be daft, but is, is that a thing in law? You work this many hours, you get a bonus. Is that a drive yourself into the ground? We'll pay you more money. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I look. I used to get bonuses in legal, but then I used to work um, pretty excessive hours and always do way over budget, always. But then I was one of those people that worked the weekends, I worked the holidays, um, worked around the clock. Um, I don't know if, if some firms do that. I just figure I try to make us, we're more like a tech company as opposed to just being a law firm. We will sort of fall into the, the patterns of many of the traditional firms and I just don't want to go down that path. We've worked way too hard to separate ourselves from that mentality. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think on the basis that we, we consider ourselves a tech company that does legal services, then tech companies pay bonuses. And so we try to give the guys what they would have if they weren't here. So then how do you do that on a team basis? So everyone has um, their targets around what we should do. Now we do everything by fixed fee. So we have to, we still time charge, but we only time charge for bottlenecking. So we can see what's happening in the farm. So if, um, if something's moving through the process and there's one particular part of our system or one particular person within the system that's getting backed up with work and the processes aren't flowing well, We'll be able to see that when we do the time charging because it'll get to a certain spot and then there'll be a bulk amount of time and then there'll be um, issues in the system. So we do that to make sure that the right people are using um, the right tools and that the right person or level of person is doing particular jobs. So there's a lot of jobs that lawyers tend, generally tend to do that really shouldn't be done by lawyers. They should either be done by a machine or by paralegal and we've got a Philippine team as well so they can do a lot of the tasks that lawyers are currently doing so um, because of that that's one of the things that brings the cost down a lot as well and also creating a lot of those automations um, using a bit of AI and the chatbots and all of that kind of stuff there are also other things that can be done um, instead of the lawyer doing that so our lawyers essentially are just doing the legal work and not all the other stuff that goes with it. Is that something that the lawyers themselves, is that word sort of getting out and you're having people starting to come to you? 
Yeah, we've always uh, we've always had a fair few resumes um, come in. We've always been really particular about um, who we obviously we would bring on board in the team as well, because it really only takes one person to try, you know, to start souring an environment. So I don't just do the recruiting myself. I do some of the recruiting. My team all do an interview. Um, and then we look at it from a personality perspective as well as their background and what they want. So we do a lot of like personal development here. So we've got, you know, like a gym memberships and um, stuff as well. So it's, we would need, whenever we look at who we'd want to bring into the team, we want someone who not only wants to do their job, but they want to grow and develop as a person as well. And then we look at what we can contribute to their growth in that way. And that's generally someone who wants to, um just really be a part of what we're doing um that's the person that we generally tend to veer towards more yeah so if we take a bit of a a side step for a minute because clearly you've come to all of these conclusions and and developed virtual legal based on a need both within the public need for um law services that are human-centered and fixed price but also from a lawyer perspective of of wanting um, respect and career development and normal hours and a life what's going on in the the mainstream law at the moment like what's that culture like outside of your firm what are the expectations like because I have this image of it's a hundred hours a week but you get to drive a nice car like what is it that it's like outside in the, re- in the, I call it the yeah, muggle, look, it the is, muggle it world. It is still very much like that. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think it is still very much like that. Obviously I'm not in that environment anymore, but I spent a certain period of time in that environment. And um, I've got a lot of friends that are still in that environment. And what we're finding is that a lot of the guys that are, they, they're just burning out. Um, once they get to your fifth or sixth year law and they just don't want to do it anymore but they feel trapped because they feel as though and this is a real typical legal mindset that I also had many years ago uh, that you know I'm a lawyer that's all I do what else could I possibly do if I wasn't doing this and I get it like I, I get it I did it myself as well I felt that way too and I went over to finance for a little while um, and I let my practicing certificate go for a few weeks and then they gave me my practicing certificate back. So I was so closely identified with that. I'm a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I think what happens in the firms is that everyone sort of would like to make a few changes and not, you know, sort of sell this all to the industry, but everyone sort of is just nervous of stepping out by themselves and the stats on what sole practitioners make. Um, generally I think the average is about $130,000 a year so Mm. it's you know it's a lot of work running these small businesses so even though they're not necessarily happy living in that churn environment um, it's you know laws laws one of those things it's just so traditional even though they're doing reports now around you know and and changing the laws around what hours um, a junior lawyer can work you still have to deal with the culture that comes with that so they're not going to get the same opportunities or oh, my concern is that they're not going to get the same opportunities if there's more restrictions around the environment. So what are the what's the resistance? What's the pushback to actually is it just purely dollars to having people with things like work life balance, reduced stress, respect, 
diversity? I think, I think it's a couple of things. Yeah, look, it's a couple of things. We've got guys that work part-time for us. They work from home. They'll tell us how many hours they want to work each week and we're okay with that. But we can be okay with that because we've got people in the office full-time. So law's not easily something that you can just do part-time and just hope that people don't need any legal help on the other days that you don't want to be available. So that's one of the things that makes it a bit difficult. Yeah, okay. So if you are going to sort of work in that part-time sphere, you're not available. Um, and that increases the risk for the firm of you not being available. So that's one of the issues um, that we have to get around. Like I said, we, we do that here already. And also one of the things that has attracted a lot of the lawyers to the law and earth platform is that again, they can just spend those 20 minutes or 30 minute calls on video. And then at the end of that video, they don't have to be responsible for anything else. They've just done their snippets of advice and then it's done. They can go and get on with their life or whatever they were doing that day. Um, so that gives that flexibility again. But um, that's, I think that's the difficulty is managing risk more than anything, more yeah. than dollars. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. So then for people who come into law, they've got accepted into law school, they do it, they go, I'm going to be a lawyer. What is it that drives like you and lawyers that, what is it that you love about it? Like, what is it that keeps you going apart from not knowing what else to do? What, are the, what is the positive stuff that you, keeps you in it? Um, I think it's probably around um, uh, problem solving. So you like to take something that's quite tricky and work out how to solve a problem um, and sort of be the hero of the moment and just make everything work. Also, I know in the transactional side of things, uh, you can sort of basically, things go quite quickly. So you have to be very organized. And by the time something settles, it's, it's almost a real feeling of satisfaction that you get out of that transaction, especially in the property space, because those transactions go so fast. I would imagine I used to work in litigation years ago and you know if you have a win obviously in litigation those files can go on for years so that's obviously something that um, drives the lip guys um, I'm not sure what it would be in family law I didn't I spent about a year and a half doing some family law <laughs> I don't know what enjoyment they get maybe they get help they, they enjoy helping people a bit um, but there's a lot of negativity that sort of comes in that space from what I recall but um, I think it's more so just around the problem-solving element. You get to use your brain. For those of you who don't know, a social enterprise is a business that is for purpose and makes the majority of its money through selling something, through trade. Um, so tell me a little bit about Law on Earth as a social enterprise. So we actually initially had set up virtual legal to try and address this access to justice issue. And what we realized over time is that when it comes to certain types of legal, say the transactional stuff, um, you still couldn't get the cost down enough to, to be able to service that 75% of the market that just are completely left out. They're going to Google um, to get their answers and not knowing whether the law is correct, whether it's relevant to what they're doing. Uh, because they just don't feel like they can reach out. But even those guys that can reach out who might be on minimum wage, they still can't afford virtual legal fees. And virtual legal fees are well below the, the market in many, in many of our packages. So we had to find another way to use more technology um, and put it into a platform so that we could scale it and get all of the other lawyers, not just our team, uh, to be able to essentially... Um, provide legal services at, at up to 90% less cost. So the system replicates, like in a nutshell, the system replicates the, the lawyer-client interaction and it gives the client the ability to learn about their situation, get 
small segments of advice, which is all recorded and then stored on their dashboard once it's encrypted so it's safe. And it gives people the um, a way to get the legal and do the rest of the admin-based kind of stuff themselves. So what they'll so say it was a, a startup. They would basically go into the system. Uh, they'd book a 20-minute video call with someone. That would be stored on their dashboard. That would talk through what kind of structuring they can do, what kind of documents they'll need. They would then go through uh, the document wizard, answer really simple questions, slots all the relevant legal clauses in, but they don't need to know any of the legal questions. They just answer practical questions about how they want their business to work. And so the legal's being done in the back end. They've got a simple user interface. And then it gives them a document that explains every single clause in their agreement. So they have control over that document and they actually understand the whole agreement. Then they can go and get it checked by the lawyers. Yeah, okay. So what's the, the I mean, you've said that the problem that you're solving is lower income people having access to legal fees or legal services sorry that they can afford that are straightforward that aren't wanting what's the further impact of that so why what are the dangers I guess of excluding a whole group of people from having access to legal services yeah, so there's a couple of problems. Um, number one, obviously, it creates issues where people are making decisions that don't better their future, and that's going to have a ripple effect. For example, you know, someone didn't understand around the insolvency side of things, they end up going broke. Then the person that they can't pay, they, you know, they could potentially go broke as well. So it, there's not just when people don't have access to to legal help, they can make decisions that will have a ripple effect across several other different people. So that's one of the issues that we have. Um, one of the, the second issues also is that people don't feel empowered to make smarter decisions or better decisions for their life. They're then passing that down to the generations below them as well. So they're getting into this negative spiral where people just won't, they, you know, legal help is seen as something that they're not, they're not entitled to. Um, and so that, that disparity between um, you know, giving them proper education um, and they're making better decisions to be able to start supporting themselves better, um, to not get caught in contracts, uh, you know, not, not get scammed, things like that. That's just coming further down through the generations as well. And the other thing too for the lawyers is that, you know, they're getting stuck in their offices, whereas when they come over and they start working in this environment, they feel like they're number one contributing, but because they get paid for every 20-minute call that they do, it's the rate that they're getting paid at is potentially two to three times higher than what they're getting paid in a law firm. So they can have that work-life balance and they can actually start spending more time doing the things they want to do and just do the legal work as and when it suits them. So it's yeah. sort of bringing those two spheres together. And so is there, yeah, and that would also, I would think, give the lawyers that sense of social purpose, that sense of, giving back that is kind of hard when you're on the hamster wheel. Um, yeah, that's right. So then for people to access law on earth, do you have to, is there a criteria or, because I know that in the startup and social enterprise world, we have a lot of issues around, let's say, contracts or IP or things like that, where we go, oh, look, that'd be great to have some um, legal advice, but pfft, I don't know who to trust. Do you yeah. um, help that market as well? Yeah, we do. So what we do is that uh, we do a lot of that. And it's actually a lot of the virtual legal lawyers that are in there. Um, and also the um, we've got 
I think 41 other lawyers in there at the moment. Uh, we're looking, we're talking to a, um, a corporate at the moment about potentially putting um, 8,000 of their lawyers across over into our system as well. Wow. And that would be amazing because that will help us roll out very quickly all around Australia and then um, globally. But what's, um, what we find is that we're getting a lot of people, both male and female, that actually already have their own small practices and they're just looking for ways to be able to um, attract more work because lawyers are really good at doing their legal work but not always so good at the marketing side of things. So the, the system works really well for them um, because they can basically get um, you know, extra clients coming to you know, use their, their key services without them having to do like all the extra bookkeeping and all the other things that come with running a small business. So they basically run their small business via the platform. Yeah, and we're right. also finding that top, the top tier guys um, are keen on it as well because they might lose a big contract or they might be in between developments and they've got all this great talent and yet they don't have any work for them to do, but they don't want to lose their talent. So it allows them to actually manage their cash flow inside the top tier firms and mid tier firms by putting their lawyers into the platform to do some extra work in there in the interim. And then as and when they need them, they can pull them back out because they're not required to do any particular number of hours. It's just completely self-serve. So the lawyers self-serve and give whatever they want, pull back whatever they don't, and same with the public. But it means that like these guys, that we've got one lawyer who's over in the UK and she's an Australian lawyer, but her husband's got a contract over there. So she essentially can work from, say, 8 p.m. at night until, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning because that's actually her daytime in the UK. Yeah, yeah wow. It sounds um, – I love it. It sounds fascinating. Um, I remember seeing it and going, oh, hello, because in terms of the public perception, there just seems to be this very, very – us and them feeling when it comes to law and lawyers. I mean, I did a, I did a subject in my postgrad about law, um, and it was non-profit law, which is great. But um, the lovely lecturer at the beginning said, "Right, how do you feel being here?" And it was a scale of terrified to excited. And the majority of the room put up their hand and said, "I am terrified." I've no yeah. idea what I'm in for. The law scares the snot out of me. Um, and to get even at the end of six, eight weeks and go, right, okay, okay. It just demystified it a bit. But that was me doing post-grad. Mm. Um, like I still, if somebody mentions law or an act, I'm still in leg, uh, legify going, okay, what was that? And I, but I know what I'm looking for and I know what I'm looking out for. Yeah. If you're, and I think it's also that sense of control of just having no knowledge and knowing that you have to hand over all control to somebody. So to really throw, turn that on its head, give control back to the public, um, that's actually really refreshing because I mean, I know that there are people who don't do certain things. So, oh, you might be miserable where you are. You go, well, I can't afford to get a divorce. You know, I, don't yeah. know, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to write a, I don't know how to become a company. I don't know how to um, sell a house. I don't even know where yeah. to begin. So it's giving that information, that control, that empowerment, that um, belief back to the people and going, no, 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 this is for you too. You're not excluded yeah, you from this. 
And what we find is that it's actually attracting people um, who can afford legal, quite well afford legal. They just don't want to spend a stupid amount of dollars on getting something done when most of the time they actually are already quite a student business and they know what they're doing. And they just jump in there and even say the accountants, financial planners, like these guys are actually setting up, even other lawyers are actually setting up their own little businesses inside and then charging extra to their clients back in their firm from documents <laughs> that they've prepared. So they'll spend $50 on a document and then realize the quality of it because they'll answer the question, slots all the right clauses in for them. It takes them, you know, five minutes to get their document ready and chuck $1,000 on it and out the door. <gasps> How very entrepreneurial. But what we do is that um, there's there's rules around who can be part of the platform, which is what you'd asked before. And we don't let anyone in the platform that has any less than three years experience. The reason being is that I don't want any dodgy insurance, uh, you know, any, any people that don't know what they're doing in the platform. And that lawyer's insurance attaches to their advice. And right. that's the really key element is that when we created this, we had to create it in a way that is safe for the public. We don't just want another one of these platforms where everyone's like, oh, here, ask a lawyer a question. It's like, well, how do you know if the questions are, you know, the answers yeah. are any good? Um, and so this way, the lawyers, we've only ever had one lawyer that said, oh, well, I don't want to have my advice recorded. What if it's not quite right? And I said, well, you shouldn't be giving advice if you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so we, he sort of got blacklisted. We didn't put him in the platform. Um, but everyone else is actually quite happy, but especially for the lawyers too, because like these guys can say, well, this is what they told me about their situation and this is what advice they gave because that's what they told me. So there's a really clear, transparent way of uncovering why advice was given in a certain way. So if something went wrong in this day and age, um, it will take a couple of months, and you know, he said, she said, until you get to the bottom of what actually happened. Whereas you don't have that here if that situation came in, you know, in the platform, you would say, okay, do you consent opening up your video so we can see what's actually happened? And right there and then you can see exactly what's happened. So both parties have that safety and security. Yeah. So ordinarily at this point, I say sort of what do you want the public to know? Um, but ordinarily that's in a space where we don't have any control. So, for example, last time when we talked to a paramedic, I said, what do you want people to know about paramedics? They're like, well, just show us some respect and please don't drive at 100 k's past an accident site. But for you guys, if there, if there is now this option of empowerment and control, I guess to me it's getting the word out there that the law isn't as um, scary or as exclusive as what perception might have. So I guess for you, what is it that you want people to know apart from yay for law, law on earth? Uh, yeah, that's basically what you were just saying then is that, um, you know, everyone has a right, like access to legal help. Um, it should be a basic human right. We found a way for everyone to have access to basic medical help and basic education. So um, there is a way for everyone to, you know, literally set up a free profile and access all the learning center that has all the guides, that has all how the way to fix up most of your legal issues without costing an assent. So that actually exists and um, they should take advantage of that as and when they need to access actual legal assistance in there or do the documents, they can do that, but it's not going to cost them a fortune. They know they can do that. And we just want people to realize, you know, as right, they can just go there and use it as and when they want to and just feel confident that, um, that the information in there is accurate. Yeah, absolutely. So tell them to stop going to Google. <laughs> to all our millions of listeners, stop Googling your law advice. It's not, 
Was it lawyer well, Google is. or Dr. Google? Or, um, <laughs> because, I mean, the whole podcast itself is about empathy and mental health. And when you talk to somebody, you say, we're going to talk to somebody about mental health in law. They think about these poor burnt out lawyers to do some yoga mm. on a Friday. Um, you know what I mean? Like go meditate, take a day off and do some yoga on a Friday, call your EAP if things break. But it's bigger than that. And I think the conversation that we've had is when you recognize law as a fundamental human, like the access to law as a fundamental human right, when you mm. look at the way that it's presented, the way that it's approached, that is done from a very empathetic point of view. It also then has impact on the mental health of the clients, um, lack of stress, um, empowerment, things like that. But also it's coming from a very empathetic position for your lawyers, for your staff. I mean, it sounds so lovely and so loving to be involved in what it is that you're doing that that then has an impact on their mental health and their families and their incomes and their um, health not only mental health but health as well um so i think we've sort of not even sort of i think we've definitely come to a place where we go look there is a way to be win-win it doesn't have to be work yourself 100 hours a week um at the expense of everything else would you did i summarize it all right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think the biggest the biggest key takeaway really is um, number one for the public that they can see that, you know, they do have a right to access this information and for the lawyers to say, okay, you don't need to be this particular, um, you know, picture of a person to be good at law. Like you can still do your legal work without having to wear a suit, without, you know, like addressing everyone as dear sirs or whatever. There is a way to actually solve these problems and use your skills and your brains without getting stuck in that um you know that 5 a.m to 9 p.m grind yeah so they just have to they have to get comfortable with just letting go of what they think other people expect of them because that culture is going to start um dissipating over the years there's more and more people that just want a better way and a better lifestyle because so many people are unhappy um so they you know they they can they can let that go and know that there is a safe place for them to land if they choose to do that, there will always be people that love that, you know, the environment in top tier legal, even some of the yep. mid tiers, there are people that just, just love it. And they've got families that have been in it for years and that's okay. Um, but this just gives an option. Yeah. Cause I even remember when I was at university, the law building was this whole other world full of immaculate people. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the human movements department. We weren't immaculate. Um, we were on the other side of campus but to me I think if you were immaculate and under that much pressure back in the 90s because that's when I went to uni um and you've been doing it ever since that's a lot of pressure for a very long time um yeah yeah because yeah I'm I just remember seeing the girls from well and the guys but the girls especially they were immaculate at uni (laughs) And I was in my track pants and playing wheelchair rugby and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a, a very, very high standard to hold yourself to. And like you've just said, that stuff may not actually be necessary for the 
I'm going to say humanizing of law for the, I wanted to say humanification, but I don't know that that's a word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make it up. Um, But yeah, so, oh, I love it. I I feel so inspired by this. I love it. (laughs) Um, I'm so excited you guys are on Impact Boom because it means I get to meet you guys even more. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah. We're enjoying it too because there's so many. When I was speaking to Tom uh, a few weeks ago about it, I said, "Look, it would mean a lot to me. I've, I've obviously had you know virtual legal in a startup, and I I could do it myself if I had to. But being a part of um, an accelerator like that, being around other people who are you know trying to change their little parts of the world, and also contributing so much into that environment where they really need it, and you know giving them help." Um, it makes such a big difference, not only to their business, but also to all the people that their business helps on that social enterprise basis. Oh, so absolutely. It's, um, it's such a privilege to be a part of it. Yeah. And that's how I feel because I'm on the, so lose your mind, find your heart is what we've yeah. called ourselves. Lose your mind, find your heart. So we're part of the uh, health accelerator up at the Sunshine Coast Innovation, Sunshine Coast University Hospital. So we're doing wow. an accelerator up there. And one of the future podcasts of listening at the Orange Door is going to be on mental health in entrepreneurship and how mm. important that team is um, mm-hmm. and that you don't have to do it all by yourself and that there's ways and means to be successful in this space as an entrepreneur, both a social enterprise and a for-profit, um, I guess, enterprise, um, yeah. where you can have that that balance and i i've yeah i'm gonna that's one of the future ones that we're doing um is mental health in entrepreneurship because that's big that's so big i mean i i shared something recently on linkedin and it went 150,000 views and that was on mental health in entrepreneurship so there's something there so we're going to explore it so for future episodes of listening at the orange door um Mm -hmm. thank you so much for talking to me today I found that so fascinating and so riveting um, and such a different way of looking at it. I honestly thought we were going to be talking about Friday yoga. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you've got an EAP, you've got Friday yoga. What else do you want? I don't want to work till 3 a.m. Not that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I love that. That was fantastic because in everything that you're doing, Empathy, mental health, human-centered are right at the core of what it is that you're doing. Um, And I'm really looking forward to what comes out of Impact Boom for you guys. I'm really looking forward to some measurement stuff. Like, So keep us in the loop on that one. Um, But yeah, Katie Richards, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Leanne. It's been great. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Katie. Bye for now. How good was that? Thank you so much, Katie. That was such a great conversation. I think there was something in there for everybody to take away. My name's Leanne Butterworth. That was Listening at the Orange Door uh, by Lose Your Mind. And today we discussed empathy and mental health in the legal profession. Um, What a loving, wonderful discussion that was. I hope you can join me next time. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself.